0: everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles, nope, not Next Generation International. I am Ron Cole with your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable, the New England Zone, Van Helsink, with the other tumbleweeds. What? What? Do I hear? Hello? I do hear someone. Hello? hi ron how are you doing good
1: Excellent. i've literally just just dived in the door from the publishers i've just managed to get you just in time
0: and with me now all the way from across the pond is the rock star of the parapsychologist mr cal cooper
1: hi ron how are you doing good good good
0: anyway how are you are you at the publishers
1: yeah, yeah, that's where I've been. I didn't think I was going to make it in time. I literally just run upstairs and turned everything on. I'm here. I've made it perfect, so I haven't missed anything, thank goodness. How's everything going, though, over the pond?
0: Outstanding. In, uh, actually, uh, you were at the publishers because you have a new book that's coming out, which is called Phone Calls from the Dead.
1: That's correct. It's available for pre-order at the moment on my website at www.calcooper.com. And um, it's all ready for printing now, so uh, another week or so, and it um, should be out. But everything this evening was all finalizing everything, just checking all the drafts and stuff and some proof copies and all sorts. But um, that's it now. I can chill out and relax. I don't have to do any more proofreading. I don't have to look for any more words for the index. I don't have to spend long nights up reading it through. It's all done now. Uh, Another stepping stone done. <laughs> Such a so movie.
0: I mean, I mean, did you? I mean, do you have? You don't have your gallery copy yet, right?
1: Um, no, I, I just I had a proof copy about um, two or three weeks ago, which I had to go through, and that's what I took with me to um, California when I went over to do the talks a few weeks ago, and um, that was just for general amendment So now it's all ready for just um, testers of the book cover and the um, layout of the writing. So it's all done now. It's just giving it the go-ahead uh, go for printing.
0: Oh, that's cool. I mean, I, I know that most people don't understand, uh, if you go through a real good publisher, the uh, the hoops and circles you have to jump through. So, uh, I mean, okay. that's... It really, I mean, if if you self-publish or anything, it's not as bad. But when you go through a real publisher, it gets to be really uh, uh, annoying. <laughs> well, I think there's
1: there's pros and cons to both because I suppose if you are with um, a, a big company publisher, they'll give you an editor and everything that they make sure that there's no errors or the wording flows. I mean, when you're right. self-publishing, you have to you have to check that all yourself. So. Uh, you know, yeah. I've read through my book a hundred times over, so um, I'm bored to death of it already. <laughs> I just hope that people that buy it will be more interested because they'll be reading it for the first time. But
0: you know, I know, who's, I know been... somebody who's dying to read it, and she's on the line with us now. <laughs> she is my co-host from Ghost Chronicles uh, Next Generation and the Bomb bombshell Kerrigan.
2: Well,
1: oh, hello. <laughs> How are you? I'm um, fine, thank you. How are you?
2: Um, excellence.
0: Uh, now, now have, have you ever spoken to Cal before?
2: No, I have not. It's great to meet you, Cal. Oh no, I think didn't I come on uh,
1: Ghost Chronicles Inter- International before? I mean, Ghost Chronicles on a Wednesday. I'm sure I stayed up one night to come on it.
0: You did? I must have
1: Yeah, I think was I it? did.
0: And that was, was talking me, about was Chronicles it me or Maureen? Well. <laughs> no, it wasn't Maureen. Cal was Cal wasn't around when Maureen was there.
2: Ah, okay. Oh, okay. Well, it's, it's just my, it's my early Alzheimer's, that's all.
0: Oh. <laughs> yeah, anyway, she is dying to meet the, uh, the uh, rock star parapsychologist when you come over here in July. I, I do know that. Absolutely. Oh, <laughs> and, and and Cal will have his, his books with him, right, Cal?
1: Oh, absolutely. I'll bring some over. I'm really looking forward to this Um this conference and some of the investigations already. Um, what sort it, of things have we got lined up, Ron? If we can tell somebody. It, actually, it's them. an event.
0: It's not a conference.
1: Uh, it, well, I, I keep on being told it's a sort of conference event. I'll stick in my head it's a conference. It's an
0: event. It's an event. It's an event. Something, something way beyond anybody could comprehend. Actually. <laughs> but we have, we have a great lineup, in, uh which is going to be cool. And in fact, Anne will be presenting. Uh, she will be doing a uh, a workshop on um, cemetery. Cemeteries, yes. Yeah. Yes.
2: Yes. Yeah. My favorite place in the whole world. <laughs> cemetery. The cemetery. Yeah. My home away from home. <laughs>
0: And when Cal comes over here, what we're going to do is we're going to try to get a telephone call from the dead when we, we're going to go to a cemetery with a dead telephone and see if we can talk to someone.
1: Oh, excellent. That'd be interesting.
2: Really? <laughs> <laughs> that, that,
1: that reminds me of, did you ever see the... Um, oh, hang on. Did you ever see the old book cover to phone calls from the dead? Um, one no. One of them was a, it was a cross on a gravestone, and in the background you could see a load of um, telephone poles with all the telephone wires on it. And the the <laughs> gravestone that was across, the wires came down and hit the gravestone and comes off as though the cables are going down into the grave. It's <laughs> really, it really cool book cover. I thought that was brilliant for ages. And I, I wanted to do something like that. But then I looked at it and I thought, no, it's, it's too dated. It's too 70s. So I've, I've kind of, with this new book cover, which no one's seen yet for Telephone right. calls from the Dead, it's got this kind of new paranormal vibe to it. And I think people like it. It's all Wait, very... No one's it. What specific. are
0: we looking at when we go online and see the,
1: the book cover? Oh, no, that's that's not it. That was an original design, and then when I took it to California, I, I just started to kind of play with the idea a bit more, and I showed it to people, and then I sort of ummed and ahmed, and I, I've taken it a bit further. So the book cover you're seeing online isn't the actual book cover. It's just um, one that I had in mind, and we were going to he- go ahead with it. I just changed my mind, so I redesigned uh-huh. it. So... The book cover you're going to get when you order it, it'll be a surprise.
0: (laughs) Oh, there you go. There you go. Oh,
2: I love that old one. The old one sounds awesome. Anne
0: actually actually has a question. She's curious about the book. She wants to know if it has a centerfold in it.
2: Uh, (laughs) Ron, I do not. (laughs) (laughs) Don't pay any attention to him. Ron
1: has a collection of my sneaky photos.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, we are supposed to have anthropologist uh, Jack Hunter on. I, I wonder if we have him uh, anywhere. And nope, I just see that uh, he is still offline. So, Uh-oh. Jack, if you're if you're out there listening, get online so that we can uh, add you to this collection of uh, merriment that's going on here.
2: <laughs> oh, no. So. Oh, my
0: Anyways, Cal, I mean, you're coming over here, and, and and I keep saying this because it seems to us that the, 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 the British seem so pragmatic. They seem so naysay. Uh, I mean, uh, it's going to be a whole new world for you over here. Uh, you know, the Americans are much more open. They're much more, uh, I don't know. I'm not going to say smarter, because I'm not sure about that. Um, <laughs> but it, it, it'll be different for you, I think.
1: Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I experienced a bit of it in Southern California. The audience that I went to speak to was um, about there's about 100 people there or so. And afterwards, they all came up and spoke to me. And um, at the end of the talk, they all gave um, various um, comments on experiences that they'd had in hospitals or personal experiences when losing family members and then uh, they also spoke to me about when they went to visit mediums and had readings and stuff and some of them were no different to the experiences that you have over here in the UK it's just when I came to kind of offering rational explanations for various phenomena that they were quite open to some of the things that I was bringing up because I don't think I was too harsh in the way I said it I didn't say oh you know everyone's hallucinating these things we can't prove the paranormal it's more likely just psychological No, I kind of showed everyone each case in its context and said, look, after reviewing all the possible explanations, these ones just seem to fit into place. And I'm sure you guys can see it too, you know, and I presented it on the slide so everyone could see the steps I've gone through. And then I presented the cases that didn't seem to actually present rational explanations. And I said, I'm open to saying that this might be something because I can't apply rational explanations to it. I can only apply paranormal theories that we're familiar with. So, um, you know, I, I don't think the US will be that um, too far different from the UK. It's just when we come to some of the haunting stuff, which I look forward to getting involved in, you know, your buildings are slightly different to ours. You know, we've had this debate mm. before between stone and um, wood and also the fact that your country is bigger, so you've got more haunted locations spread out of a distance than we have. This is both. Uh,
2: and I think, I mean, think about the history you have. I mean, the history... In England and, and you know throughout the UK I mean compared with here I mean we're kind of babies I
0: think
2: mm. babies compared to the history in in, in the UK
0: well, only a yeah, couple yeah. Hundred,
2: you know
1: hundred yeah, years absolutely. Old. Uh, some people did mention that you know um, they can't claim fame to having Um, a a pub over in the or a bar in the USA that's from the 1500s or anything like that but we've got that over here I mean in Nottingham where I'm from we've got places like um, the trip to Jerusalem and the Salutation Inn those places go back three or four hundred years and you know the doorways are all really tiny for the people of the time and you have to duck down (laughs) to get into them we've got (laughs) at least six or seven known ghosts going about the location that are all from different time periods when you look at the clothing that has been reported on these apparitions. And um, the, the brickwork is just old, but it, it's structurally sound and it's fantastic. The buildings look beautiful, but they're so atmospheric at the same time because they've stayed sort of in this constant time period while all other buildings around them, the modern buildings, are kind of like uh, swamp them, really. But we, we have got these perfect little patches of history here and there up and down the UK that have got renowned hauntings in them. But we've got plenty of modern Buildings too that have hauntings as well, as I'm sure you guys have.
0: So, I mean, wouldn't you think if, if, if you have reports of an apparition and they describe his dress and it goes back to a certain period, I mean, wouldn't that be kind of proof that, that there is some type of activity?
1: It depends how specific they are, because I've said before um, in some publications when I've looked at eyewitness testimony and its use in paranormal experiences, Um, How specific is a person being when they said a group of people have been to a place and they've all claimed to have seen the same ghost? And in one particular location that I investigated, everyone was saying, yeah, there's a man and he walks through the main hallway and he goes through the back door and out through the garden wall and he's dressed in typical Victorian clothing. What's typical Victorian clothing?
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: You know, that was it. They wouldn't take it any further. They wouldn't say what was on the top. Was he wearing a hat? What were the trousers like? What were the shoes like? Did he have um, any distinctive markings on his face? Did he have facial hair? Didn't he? Was he wearing glasses? None of that. It was just he's a sort of six foot tall guy and he's wearing typical Victorian clothing. That's not helpful. Uh, Even if a group of people say it's not helpful, it's not specific enough. So, you know, that I wouldn't say is kind of proof of everyone seeing the same thing. Maybe they are, but you know the the eyewitness testimony and the recall of the event isn't that clear so maybe the experience wasn't that clear either maybe these people are trying to kind of uh, improve the experience which was actually ultimately just corner of the eye phenomenon and they saw this sort of dark figure out the corner of their eye so they just said oh it, it seemed to me like a six foot tall guy from you know the victorian ages you know you've, you've got to be more specific with these and there's loads of cases where people have seen these apparitions full on and they can tell you what this lady in a white dress was wearing and she got beautiful flower patterns down each shoulder of the dress and there were frills of cuffs and she had these beautiful silver buttons going down and everyone's seen her wearing this red belt as well you know um, some people can be very specific with those things and there's others that aren't so you have to be wary of the ones where you have numerous people seeing the ghost but you know at the end of the day it's coming out as a black figure and um, they're saying it's typical Victorian clothing. That it, it doesn't help.
0: Right. <laughs> you know what was interesting is that we did an investigation uh, two or three weeks ago uh, with Maureen, who is a trans channeler, and uh, we went to this place and and she trans channeled this uh, fella, a uh, sailor, as it turns out. But. Um, it was interesting because in, in all the years I've worked with, this is the first time I've really seen this happen. Is that when the spirit was in her body and he was there talking or whatever he was doing, all of a sudden he kind of like she had a jacket on. She, he kind of like pulled over his jacket and kind of like, you know, what the hell are these? You know, like, you know, because he had breasts. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right,
0: <laughs> and that's interesting because to me that it, 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 it's interesting on a couple of levels. One, if you know, if it's a male spirit, then he is definitely cognizant that he is in a body, and mm-hmm. not only is cognizant in his body, but he's cognizant that it's not a male body. <laughs> so it, it, it's to me, I found that really interesting, and. Mm. Uh, what did you think? I mean, Cal. What do you, I mean, what's your thoughts?
1: I wasn't there. If you record that, I'd love to have seen the uh, whole episode and the reaction of a guy suddenly having breasts.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, what what was your impression of it? You, you guys were there. You can only tell me about it. I mean, how many people were there? What did they all think? Did everyone find it humorous, or was it more so dramatic, or what?
0: I found it interesting, uh, you know, and uh, I guess that's the only word I use for is interesting because I had never seen that happen before. Uh, she's trans-channeled a lot of people, and uh, a lot of times uh, they seem to be more... Um, more, uh, focused on, on the people around them or the situation or something like that, rather than to whose body they were in, which I, I've, you know, and, uh, yeah. So, so it was interesting. I mean, I, 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 believe we do have that on film. I've, I haven't gone through them yet, but I think we do have that on video. So, uh, yeah, I certainly could show it to you over here.
1: Oh yeah, please do. That'd be cool. I mean, that's something that, um, uh, Jack Hunter would have been interesting um, I'm still trying
0: yeah, to... if he ever showed up there that's... <laughs>
1: I, i'm, I'm going I'm just sending him a text now I'm just trying to get him online because uh, we had Jack Hunter on before, and he's from the University of Bristol, and his main research has been um, from it's looking at the paranormal from an anthropological um perspective, so in effect it's para anthropology, and the main thing he's been doing is going along to a place called the Bristol Spirit Lodge which is a place where several mediums within the Bristol area have gathered to actually go and conduct seances and um, look into the history of um, spirit communication. And Jack has gone along, and instead of like the parapsychologist does and stand on the outside of the seance and acts as an observer looking for the psychological interaction and the natural explanations for the events, the anthropologist, Jack, has gone in and sat in the circle and joined in to actually experience the whole event for himself and actually get into this um, this psychological experience, or what we might call also a transpersonal experience, actually going along with it just to see what the experience is. And you know, he's had things of his arms sort of becoming possessed and moving about. And
0: um, yeah, my you know, my arms were possessed one time when I got slapped. So
2: yeah, I bet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but him seeing him seeing something like a medium becoming possessed by. Um, a guy and realizing they got a breast. Hit, I think he would have found that quite funny. Yeah. It's certainly something he's never mentioned to me of uh, experiencing before.
0: And as I mentioned, I have never seen that before too. And that was to me, it was the first time that really uh, happened in all the years I've worked with Maureen. So uh, it, it's an interesting. Yeah, I found it really interesting. I probably was the only one, but. <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, when you come over here, we're certainly going to get you involved in certain things, and hopefully, uh, uh, you know, you'll come away with something. But, you know, hopefully you're not going to be too cynical because, you know, you can spoil everything. (laughs) I'm never
1: cynical. I'm skeptical. I'm not cynical. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And I'll show you my centerfold.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yay. I don't want to see it.
0: That's for damn sure.
2: <laughs> hey Ron,
0: be...
2: you brought it up.
0: Yeah, I I know. I just I just wouldn't, you know, I'd have to take out mine and I wouldn't want to embarrass him.
2: Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. You jammed me a big
1: time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, anyways, yeah, yeah, I know that uh yeah, I was interested in speaking to Jack on, on that as well, but uh you know, we're going to a uh We have a a, a new event that we're going to be announcing shortly. Ann and I are going to this uh, old – I I don't know if it's Victorian. Have you seen the uh, mansion, Ann? The mansion, the following? Yeah. I have not. I have not. It it's, it's, it's an old, I'm funny. not if it's sure if it's Victorian or not, but but the interesting thing about it, it's not it's done in a dark shadows motif, which means it's all Victorian inside with, you know, really dark stuff because uh the dark shadows for the, for those who don't know is a, uh, a was a soap opera when I was a young kid. And um it, it was about vampires and werewolves and stuff like that. And, and the interesting thing is, a lot of the material inside this mansion, as well, is, is antique, So it, it's kind of interesting. There'll be a lot of different energy in there. If you Oops.
2: hello,
0: guess what? Hello, we got we got Mr. Anthropologist. <laughs> Hi. Yay! <laughs> so,
1: um,
2: yeah.
1: guys, here we have. Um jack hunter with us finally um jack we were just discussing um a a brilliant case um guys could you explain again about the short possession of a guy again and explain it to jack or or a guy and a woman well
0: yeah basically i i did an investigation uh, about two or three weeks ago and and I work with a trans medium, and, and for those who don't know the trans medium, that's basically the Whoopi Goldberg character in the film Ghost. And that's when a spirit actually comes into the body and uses the body of the, the medium. And the uh, uh, medium basically, if it's a deep trance, will step back and, and the, the spirit actually... Uh, happens the body but anyways uh for the first time in working with her in many many years uh she began to trans channel a uh, sailor and all of a sudden he she had a jacket on he she whatever uh and he opened it up and then he kind of realized for the first time that he had breasts so he, he was uh a little perplexed i guess you would say um <laughs> So it, it it was really interesting because all it, the years working with her, it's all in the spirit does know It's always been more concerned about the situation or the people around them or everything rather than the body that it's inhabiting, and uh, I found that really uh, quite interesting, actually. So, what, what's your thoughts, Jack,
3: <laughs> on on that particular case? Yeah, that <laughs> <laughs> uh, it sounds <laughs> it's crazy. Very interesting.
0: What did you say? Uh, Sounds crazy.
3: Well, no, not crazy, crazy, but interesting, crazy.
1: (laughs) I was mentioning. Oh, sorry, Jack. Go on. Sorry, carry on. I was I was mentioning the Bristol Spirit Lodge to everyone just after I first heard about this case about five or ten minutes ago, and I said I don't think you've ever encountered suddenly having um, breasts or anything like that while you were there. (laughs) No, <laughs> I've never encountered anything like that.
3: But I have heard um, things with the spirits coming through, saying that um, it's, it sort of takes them a while to get used to the to being in a physical body again. So I can well imagine you know, coming through the shock of a spirit finding out that you suddenly got breasts.
0: <laughs> right. I mean, you you've never heard of it before, though.
3: Right? No, not no, not like that.
0: No. No, yeah, and, and, and you know, I mean, uh, Anne. I mean, when you think about it, you're a woman, right? I mean, if you were, I hope uh, so. It, it, well, I, I wouldn't know, but I mean, I, <laughs> I just assume. I have, I have no clue. I haven't looked at your birth certificate, but uh, uh, thank what, you. Yeah. Uh,
2: okay. what,
0: what? I mean, <laughs> if, if you were, if you were the opposite, if you were, wouldn't you think if you were a, a spirit, a, a dead mm-hmm. woman? And you got into a man's body, wouldn't you find that a bitter shock?
2: <laughs> oh, I think so. I think that'd be kinda of cool. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm not gonna touch that. <laughs>
2: that
0: wouldn't make I might not give I might
2: not give that back. <laughs> but uh, yeah, definitely shocking. But I mean, do you really think they're cognizant, you know, um, when they're channeling like that? I mean, well obviously in this particular case they were. But uh, I don't know.
0: Well, uh, uh, ask Jack because now, Jack, you work with mediums. H- have you ever seen a situation similar where where they are cognizant more of their body than the, than the environment or or uh, the situation?
3: I think they are when they come into a body. They they can they basically the way they describe it to me is that they use the uh, the sort of the physical brain of the of the medium. So they must be connected to the nervous system and they must be able to feel the environment around them mm-hmm. and a lot of a lot of um, spirits that i've spoken with have said that it just it takes them a little while to adjust to feeling what it's like to have a physical body again mm-hmm. so yeah i think they would be able to feel it
2: i would think
3: it would be quite a shock it would be a shock
0: <laughs> So, I mean, do you deal with a lot of trans mediums, Jack, in, in your in your research?
3: Yeah, uh, I basically focus with one particular group, and there's two mediums that I've gotten to know pretty well, and uh, they're both trans mediums. They're also working; they're ultimately working towards physical mediumship, which is a, a different thing altogether, but uh, involves trance. But most of the the seances they do are trance seances which is, uh, for for me, a particularly interesting kind of mediumship.
0: What do you define as a trance medium?
3: Um, I would consider a trance medium a medium who enters into an altered state of consciousness, and then while they're in that altered state of consciousness, um, it's believed that another spirit or uh, another personality takes control of their physical body. And um, in the trance seances... They take control of the physical body and have conversations. Trans mediumship is usually uh, basically, you know, spirits talking through, the, through a medium's body.
1: Yeah, there was um, a case of that that I mentioned in my book. I, I can't believe I didn't think of that earlier when you were talking about uh, you know, a, a woman channeling a man and then the man suddenly realizing he was in a, a woman's body. There was one of a guy called, uh, it was just his initials that came up. It was in a, a short pamphlet by Edward um, Cope. Um, called his Testimony to Life After Death, and he spoke about the case of him knowing a medium called L.S., who would channel the spirit of a woman called Barbara. Um, Barbara would take over his body, and then he'd usually perform seances as Barbara. Um, but throughout Edward knowing L.S., um, L.S. at times would be it would channel Barbara, and Barbara would come through while in this trance. And Barbara would then telephone people, and talk to people through the telephone about the spirits that bar all
0: right we're gonna have to talk spirit. to that when we come back from the break because we're gonna have to take a break right now and uh, that's way too much for me and thank you so much for <laughs> dropping by and uh, filling in for old jack while he was out there doing whatever jack does and uh <laughs> Good we'll see welcome. you. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow night. So, anyways, you are yes, listen so. to the Ghost Chronicles International with uh, Cal Cooper and Ron Kolak and our special guest Jack Hunter, and we'll be right back with the following messages on net Paradox Ghost Channel. Dior.
2: Welcome to net Radio with a cutting edge. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. Family, the shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal. The Paris family, they're strange, deranged, unrestrained. So, grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give awards to the Paris family. <laughs> I am brave beyond belief. Nothing yeah, we'll see. Scares me. So, anyways,
0: if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles: Next Generation with Anne Ron. See you then. And we are back. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with parapsychologist cal cooper and regular guy ron kolick and our very special (laughs) guest is the anthropologist jack hunter jack do you have a website or anything that uh, we can direct people to or the people want to find out more about you
3: i've got um a website for the the journal that i edit paranthropology Mm -hmm. it's a journal of anthropological approaches to the paranormal and um it's a free journal that you can download from uh the website www.paranthropology.co.uk and you can get all of the past issues there for free and um, you can also buy print magazines now um, from
1: magcloud.com
0: Excellent.
1: I would highly recommend them.
0: Really? (laughs) Yeah, they are good. Um, Does he he use like all big words? (laughs) There are a few (laughs) big words there. (laughs) Paranthropology is quite a big word. Yeah, I know. That's the problem. Uh, anyways, Cal, you were talking about this guy who was a barber and was a guy yeah. but became barber or something like that.
1: Yeah, I was trying to look for cases that um, in the history of telephonic communication hadn't really been mentioned before. And I I found these through Rogo's files and also um, just going through old paranormal pamphlets and stuff like that, just odd bits of books and all sorts that you come across that people have tossed to one side and forgotten about. And the the pamphlet by Edward Cope um, had got this chapter on called Mysterious Telephone Calls. And it was about a psychic called LS contacting him over the telephone and then channeling or or, or going into the trance and becoming Barbara, his spirit guide, or um, whoever Barbara was, it wasn't made clear. But Barbara would ring people and then tell these people about what the dead are wanting to pass on to them, but over the telephone. So it's like what we have now, when you have a psychic reading over the telephone, you pay for the privilege, but L.S. and Barbara were doing this freely with friends of theirs, and everything they passed on was quite accurate um, about friends and family that passed on. There was um, even a point where Edward had a seance with L.S. and Barbara, and they invited three priests over and some friends, and one of the priests during the seance lit a bunch of matches and got thrown into his seat. And then Edward Cope commented that he had to check on the medium afterwards because he'd known and witnessed two such cases where if you surprise the medium in the middle of a seance and kind of return their, their own spirit back into the body, you could kill them. And he'd seen two such cases where it had killed them, which I thought was quite dramatic and, you know, oh, wow. I'm not sure whether that's true nice or question. not. But Jack, what's your take on something like that?
3: I've never heard of it, um, of killing someone. That's a bit extreme cool. I, in my experience. I
0: I'm speaking to anyways, you know,
3: <laughs> but, um, there's definitely like the mediums that I've, I've worked with, um, if they are woken out of their trance unexpectedly, then they have, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're not prepared for it and they, uh, have some negative, uh, side effects. Um, a lot of the time they claim to feel Sort of nauseous or And they're particular, particularly sensitive To light and, and loud sounds After the trance But um, I've never actually seen Because they're always very careful Not to to accidentally wake the medium Out of the trance And I've never actually seen it happening um, But yeah. I, I wouldn't have thought it would kill
0: them Jack, that let was, me ask you this um, Have you ever seen have you ever witnessed uh, a medium who has trans-channeled a not-so-nice spirit uh, um, had, that had to be dealt with?
3: No, I haven't. <laughs> because uh, most of the time, they open up their seances with a sort of a call of intent, which sets the, the general mood for the seance. Mm-hmm. And um, usually, they do that and they invoke a kind of protective canopy around the group. So from the very outset they're trying they prevent essentially any kind of negative entities from coming into it. So they usually just channel um a specific set of spirits each time. They call them a spirit team. Oh okay. Uh, yeah. So they it's a bit different to um like when you see mediums on the stage, on the platform giving out messages from all different relatives and stuff. So the mediums that I work with don't do that. They always work with a set spirit team who comes through. So you wouldn't go to one of these seances expecting to get a message from your dead auntie or anything. You go there specifically to communicate with these particular spirits.
0: It's interesting because Maureen, being part of a paranormal investigative team, we go into different locations, and she connects with the spirits that are there. Yeah. Uh, and and sometimes they're not, you know, really nice guys. I mean, there are times where uh, she's thrown me across the room before, or there are times where she's dislocated my finger before, uh, you know, and uh, we really run into it. And, and she's not that tough, but, uh, you know, it takes two or three people to basically to, uh, you know, restrain her at times. So, I mean, it's, it, it, it's a little different. Yeah, well, I think I th- we
3: should do it I think that, uh, that would be the difference between doing a controlled seance where it's you, it's the, you know, the group who's in control and then going right. out in the field where there could be any number of different kinds of you know, energies or entities or whatever you want to think of Right. When you, when you go out and you enter into your sort of altered state of consciousness or your trance out in a, a haunted house for instance, you don't know what's going to come in, you could, you, you're opening yourself up anything could come in in a seance it's different because they they know what they want they know who they're inviting and they know the different spirits that that come each week so it's it's more controlled i think than than that
1: I think right. that this sort of thinking lead to confusion when people mix up a seance in other things i mean um some people end up doing a seance in a haunted location. And when it's normally public events, you have people that are going on with a sort of personal vendetta because they've suffered a bereavement. And it doesn't matter what the location is, where it is, or what the history is, and which famous people actually haunt the place. These people go along, they do a bit of a Ouija board or glass moving experiment, and they start to get in contact with their deceased relatives. Mm-hmm. Now, while the deceased relatives would haunt that particular location, I don't know. The psychology seems to be taking over more in the fact that they're actually still suffering uh, a bereavement. They're still grieving, and they're actually wanting this contact. They're wanting some um, confirmation that this communication. Um, well,
0: is, is it that related? Cal, or or is it, do we not know? what a spirit can do and what a spirit can't do. I mean, if you believe that spirits, for instance, spirits of love, especially look after you, and then they have the opportunity to speak with you, then why wouldn't they grab it? I mean, it it seems logical to me.
1: Well, indeed, but, uh, you know, looking at it as a psychologist and trying to be skeptical about it, when I've seen these, you know, you've got several people that have gone along and don't know each other, and they're all trying to get in contact with their relatives, and it seems when you get some significant name up that maybe I know about the location, you know, let's say some guy called um, George Smith the Third haunts this particular location, and they start getting a guy called George Smith through, and he's some high upstanding person in society, and he owns some big property, and they start to get this information, and then they all sidetrack saying, oh, wasn't your granddad called George, or something like that. And then oh, right, away right. from it because they go back onto family matters again. Right, and exactly. When I, I did some, I've spoken about the Gansfeld before, and this is where, very much like Jack has done with the Bristol Spirit Lodge, when you start to go into a, a seance, it's all about trying to relax, first of all, to get you into this altered state of consciousness. Mm-hmm. And the Gansfeld tries to do that automatically by playing you relaxation tapes. Now, I thought it'd be interesting if you could make people be like mediums or psychic mediums or promote their psychic abilities by taking the Gansfelder out of the lab and setting up a portable Gansfeld in haunted locations. And when I ran some pilots to visit this and took it along, people were very self-conscious of the fact that they were in a haunted location, so they weren't very comfortable trying to lie down on beanbags or in a comfy chair to try to relax in the first place, knowing that they were going to have eye shields on and be listening to white noise, you know, because they, they know they're in this big area that's known to be haunted. And in some cases, when they went through into the white noise and they were meant to just say anything that comes to mind, it was totally irrelevant again to the location, and it was very hard to actually pinpoint where this information was coming from. It didn't even seem to be supernatural, the information they're coming out with. So um, I, I think we have to be very clear sometimes of what our aims are and what we're trying to do. As Jack said, you know, when he does stuff at the Bristol Spirit Lodge, it's a sound, and it's got very specific rules that they stick by, and also they're always contacting the same thing. You know, they're sticking to a routine. Yeah. Uh, I think that's quite important.
0: Jack. So, Jack, so when you do this, I mean, how, how do you know these spirits, their
3: content? I mean, who are they and, and why are they there? No, that's an interesting question. I think it's very hard to know exactly what this, these spirits are that, that communicated the, the Bristol Spirit Lodge. Like, uh, personally, to me, I'm not happy to put down any one particular um sort of definition of what they are um the people who who go to the seances certainly think that they are disc discarnate spirits of of human beings who used to live you know on the earth and some of the spirits have given their kind of backstories and you know you could you could spend however however long you wanted like trying to track down these people or prove that they're you know they are who they say they are for me as an anthropologist there were um sort of studying the people I'm not I'm studying the the group the seance group I'm not necessarily interested in proving whether these spirits are who they claim to be so that's a kind of a side issue for me but I also think that it's it's made even more difficult by you know some of the other possibilities that that are thrown around these kind of things like um, the fact that they could be some kind of other entity that's pretending to be you know a specific personality or it could be um, some kind of group entity, or more than one entity coming together, presenting through a single medium as though it were a unified personality. And then there's also another possibility that these spirits are kind of like um, sort of group creations, not not as necessarily an external spirit, but as something that's created in the seance by the, the f- sort of focused concentration of... Um, Of all the people who are participating, they focus on the medium. They recognize specific behaviors in the medium as indicating that a spirit is present. For example, like the medium is twitching or gurgling or something, and they recognize that and they focus in on it. And through that, they sort of extract and create a personality in the moment. I think there's so many different possibilities for what these things are that um,
1: it's not really worth thinking about you know as an anthropologist what are some of the oldest cases you have actually traced back of mediumistic abilities and people actually witnessing these acts uh, how, how, what do you mean how do you mean the old, oldest cases well, well so some of the older ones that you've come across I mean how, how far back in time were we looking as to what, what events were actually documented Oh, for the particular spirits um, well for more so um, kind of mediumistic gatherings and people claiming that they can actually speak to the dead Oh, well, as far as we know, these things have been going on forever. forever. Yeah, yeah, ever. But I mean, what you about look... in documented literature, then?
3: Well, they, they really started documenting it in the 19th century with uh, the rise of spiritualism. But, I mean, that's only... Well,
0: wait, wait a minute. You'd have to go back all the way to Greek times when they did the oracles the Delphi and yeah. all that. That's the same thing. But it's yeah, not but as
3: that's... well documented. Right? Yeah, but I, I would suggest that it is the same thing, yeah.
0: It, it, is, it is documented because uh, the Greeks wrote about it, and even the Romans wrote about it.
3: Yeah, definitely, they did. Mm-hmm. And, and if you look in other other traditions, for instance, in China, they've got a huge uh, tradition of mediumship that goes back, you know, hundreds if not thousands of years. That's very well documented as well.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Just it, it's, it's something that, that humans have been doing, you know, forever. Mm-hmm.
0: Why, why do we do this? You're an anthropologist. You, is, it, is it something that, that we need to do?
3: Um, I think it's something that you, know, you can think about it in psychological terms as whether there's something, you know, it's something that we need to do or, or whatever. But I think what it is, really, is, is our capacity to have these experiences in the first place. I think there's something that's, that's built into us that enables us to have transpersonal experiences. And, um, and that's why mediumship traditions have persisted, because we can have these experiences. And if we go into sort of uh, specific rituals, thinking about the way rituals have developed, um, they kind of induce tra- transpersonal experiences. So rituals persist because they have positive effects, which are certain experiences. That's, that's my perspective on it anyway.
1: What's your opinion on people that say that it's not good that mediums go about making these claims that they can contact the dead because it's just fooling people especially in cases where actually, there's a medium that wants payment for private readings getting contact with the dead. I mean, do you think this is right or you know, do you find that, you know, ultimately it's probably beneficial for the people if they actually want a reading?
3: Um, there's definitely I'm sure there is a therapeutic angle thinking about these things like if a, if a person really does want to get a reading and they're happy to pay the money to get one then there's likely to be some kind of therapeutic benefit there mm. but um yeah i think um i don't think it happens as frequently as we would like to think these you know fraudulent mediums especially not with what i'm interested in with the trans mediumship
0: So uh, you think that you think there is some validity
3: to it then? Oh yeah, I certainly do. Especially, particularly with the transmediumship, because um, you know from the very the the very outset you can see that there's a genuine altered state of consciousness going on there. So from that perspective, at the very least, there's something going on. And then when you start to take it seriously and look into it more and more, then it starts to get um, weirder, and it starts to hint more. At the uh, the paranormal side of things,
1: is there anyone allowed yeah, to you visit think? The business, Spirit Lodge, or is it only a, a select few
3: people? No, anyone can can visit them. Um, you have obviously you have to get in touch and uh, sort yeah. of tell them about what your interests are, and you know they want to make sure you're not going to go in there and just <laughs> ruin it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I'm sure no that's
1: interesting. I'm, oh, sorry, Jack, go on. That's okay, carry on. I was just going to say, I'm I'm tempted next time that you actually plan to go to the Spirit Lodge, I would actually be interested to come along and actually see them working and actually get involved to actually see some of these experiences that people have been.
2: Mm, been uh, I'm
1: sure we could could work something out. That
0: would be great. Yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. And then you you can report back. Oh, sorry, sorry, uh, Ron can
0: then you can report back and, and you know, is is basically an outsider. I mean, Jack has been working with them for quite a while now. And so are you as an outsider and a bit of a, I won't say cynical, uh, skeptical, uh, then, you know, it'd be interesting to see your thoughts on it or hear your heart thoughts on it. It
1: would
3: be
0: well, interesting. Jack-
1: Jack's presented um, quite a few talks before on um, different areas of mediumship throughout the world and people going into trances, even the psychedelic aspect. But he has also specifically done presentations on the Bristol Spirit Lodge before and shown us photographs of some of the things that happened in it. And, and some of them were bizarre. Didn't you show a photograph once of some guy sat in a chair? that uh, Didn't he have rope around him or something he like did, that? He did, yeah. What that was, was,
3: that uh, that was uh, the, the sort of aftermath of a, a physical mediumship demonstration. And uh, at the end of the seance, um, the medium came out of his trance and found that he was all sort of tangled in ropes that had been left in the room for the séance, for the spirits to play with during the seance. And, uh, yeah, that's what that picture was. And he was... Um, the medium was drinking a can
1: of Red Bull. <laughs> that's... Uh, huh? I, remember, I remember he had a can of something in it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, I mean... But, uh, well, what What is the definition, <laughs> excuse me, uh, what is the definition of a physical medium?
1: Yes. Yeah,
3: uh, so
0: that we're on the same page.
3: A good definition of a physical medium, I think, is um, one, a medium who uses kind of like what, what they think of as, as energies or ectoplasm to uh, produce kind of physical effects. So um, tables levitating and trumpets flying around and obviously... Oh, okay alleged materialization of spirits as well which is obviously a bit different from trance mediumship because in a trance seance the spirit doesn't actually materialize it communicates through the body of the medium
0: i was going to ask you that have you ever had a case where you've had both of the phenomena at the same time
3: well both trance and physical mediumship
0: correct
3: yeah yeah of course um, because during physical mediumship the the medium is also thought to be in a trance so, you know, if you, if you go back and look at the uh, the old psychical research literature on uh, physical mediums, the mediums will have been in a trance while these physical phenomena were alleged to occur, at least in most cases. I think Daniel Douglas Hume didn't go into a trance when the phenomena were, ha- were occurring, which is but he was a particularly unusual case. But he did also do trance mediumship.
1: That's kind of like, um, uh, I I was only reminded of the rope when I I was kind of thinking in my head going back through your talks, but it reminds me of Rudy Schneider as well. Mm -hmm. Um, He was usually placed in the corner of the room and he'd be tied to the chair and have rope around his arms that Harry Price would inspect. And sometimes they they would put a curtain around him. But some people would report that as soon as the sound started, the curtain would move itself back so you could see full view Rudy. Sat there with his arms fixed down while objects were flying about the room—baskets and pennies and yeah—and so, so like like with the case that of that guy that was tied up uh, in the photograph that you showed us. Were the people in the room at the time that actually saw any anything happen, or was it in low lighting? I mean, what were it the was it? It was in of? in
3: pitch darkness, <laughs> which makes the whole thing that that much more dubious. Uh, but um, you know. That's yeah, just a
0: great, it. great atmosphere, though.
3: It's a great atmosphere, and um, like I said, as an anthropologist, it's not my job to go in there and prove whether what's happening is genuinely paranormal or not. Right. I'm going in yeah. there to observe what these people do. Yeah. And I have to interpret it from a different perspective.
0: Yeah. I, I you know, I think that would be really interesting to do. Uh, in an investigation uh where you know, you had an anthropologist like you, Jack, and there aren't that many that say the paranormal and, and perhaps a parapsychologist like Cal, and then then a uh a medium as well that uh that goes in haunted locations, not a saying oh, that's one and you know, they have this this little uh Enter a relationship. It would be interesting to see uh, the results and and how each felt about the same situation.
3: Yeah, it would be really interesting, and I think that's that's the kind of thing I'm almost what I'm trying to promote in paranthropology is this kind of what um, Dr. David Luke has called first-person parapsychology, which is where you go out um, and actually, you know, in order to experience these things, like an anthropologist will go out and do field work as a participant observer. And I think uh, a lot of parapsychology could benefit from taking that kind of participant approach. I mean, what yeah. do you think about that, Cal?
1: Well, I mentioned this last week with, with Steve, because he was um, talking about parapsychologists and the, the separation between them and the ghost hunters, and more ghost hunters spending time at haunted locations while parapsychologists are in the lab. And I tried to put my foot in the door a little bit because I know Steve likes to kind of wind me up about parapsychologists and some of us. But I said, no, there are some of us that still go out to haunted locations. And I do find that looking at spontaneous cases and people's personal accounts and how they felt about them, the transition before and after, you know, that the experience is the important thing for me as a psychologist. And I I go by what Dr. Rhea White said, and you can gain more from parapsychology by taking an experiential approach Mm -hmm. and then taking it to the laboratory. And this is what paranormal research is all about. The very basics you can do as research is observation and documentation. And by observing and documenting how the phenomena occurs in the first place in the real world setting and what people's experiences of the phenomena are like, only then can we make a suitable transition of that into the lab where we can then start to carry out quantitative analyses as Mm -hmm. opposed to the starting which is more qualitative and that's why qual and quant uh, methods go hand in hand you know everything works together and I don't think anyone should be stuck in the lab all the time and at the same time I don't think people should be just in the field all the time you've got to have a mixture of everything I totally favour you know going along and getting stuck in you know going along to the sensors and joining in what's it like as a sitter what's it like um, you know interacting with the mediums what's it like going to a haunted location and you've got to do that as well as reading the reports and you know making an evaluation and i suppose you know that that's where you uh, you and i have that kind of different because you're constantly doing this kind of what's what's the experience like while i'm trying to kind of not really debunk it but i'm trying to look for these rational explanations but this is where it's a good joining point for psychology and anthropology, making the paraanthropology and joining together all these different disciplines to approach the paranormal.
0: I think it's a great idea, Jack. Do you know any uh, anthropologists here in the states that, that are, are doing the same type of work you are?
3: Um, there's there's an anthropologist in Canada that I know of who's studying um, spirit mediums or spiritualist mediums in particular. In um, Montreal, I think uh, an anthropologist called um, Dr. Deirdre Mintel, and there are other um, anthropologists who are not necessarily studying spiritualism but who have been studying um, kind of altered states of consciousness in the field and and um, transpersonal experiences, one in particular um charlie Loughlin is uh, has been a you know an advocate of transpersonal anthropology, which he basically defines as um, a kind of anthropology concerned with transpersonal experiences and an anthropologist, a transpersonal anthropologist is someone who goes out into the field to have those experiences. And he's been advocating that approach since the 1970s. So there's, there are quite a few anthropologists in America who are, are interested in transpersonal experiences, that's for sure.
0: I, I think, you know, I, I think it's just a great idea and the, the more I think about this, I... I there's the doorbell. That means the pizza's arrived and we've got to wrap it up mm-hmm. <laughs> again. <laughs> but I, I think it's a great idea and I, I never looked at the the uh, that aspect of the, uh investigation having have an anthropologist on board. I think that would be really awesome, I really do. And uh, if, uh it, the more disciplines I guess uh you have on a an investigation or a, whatever you want to call it, uh I, I think is definitely a plus. And, it'd be, yeah. like I said, once again, it, it's interesting that they each do, like, a report at the end, and and it would be great to compare the reports of, you know, each of them and see how they correlate.
3: Yeah, that would be great. Definitely an interdisciplinary approach is the way forward.
1: I
0: think so, absolutely. Jack's,
1: well, Jack's Jack, I hate to man, tell you but I'll this. I'll get along for a seance. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, you, you got to go, Cal. you got to go. you definitely got to go. And if I ever What's get like over you, yes. I... Right? If I ever get over there, I got to go to So there you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, anyways, um, Jack, I want to thank you so much. I'm sorry you couldn't get on earlier in the show. Yeah, but, I'm sorry uh, to too. <laughs> yeah, but uh, once again, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, it's always interesting and uh, keep up the good work. And once again, your website is?
3: It's paranthropology.co.uk. All
0: right. Thank you, Jack.
1: Thank you very much. Thanks. So, thank- cheers, Jack. Nice speaking to you again. No worries.
0: And Cal, I mean, uh, you know, it's not that long you'll be over here working with Ben no. Helsinki himself, yeah, yeah, you know, so I'm I'll sure be in you'll be. In soon. You'll be you thrilled to death. What was that?
1: I said, are you keeping that beer cool for me?
0: Yeah, that too, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, it'll be good. I'm really looking forward to it, Ron. It's going to be excellent. I think it's going to be a memorable trip.
0: Yeah, and I'm definitely I'm interested in your book, so make sure you bring copies. I know there are a lot of people that uh, have, too, anyways. So. Uh, Actually, anything you got coming similar. up you, you, yourself you want to promote before we go off the air?
1: Yeah. Um, anyone who wants to know more about me and my research, go to www.calcooper.com. On there, you can also pre-order the book as well, Telephone Calls from the Dead. It should be out in a week or so, printed and ready for shipping out for people to read. So I hope everyone wants a copy.
0: <laughs> it will eventually be on Kindle.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. It's coming out on Kindle as well. That's easy peasy to do. Like Alright. So, to...
0: okay, so it's time to wrap it up. Uh, tune in tomorrow night with Dan and uh, Ron as we do Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. And uh, I guess that's it. Good night and God bless everyone. Okay.
2: From goalies to ghosties,
0: long legged beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.
2: This is Togi.